Hi everybody, welcome to a new episode of Two Drunk Fans. Sorry we've been gone for a while, but one of us had to get her life together while she moved apartments, and it wasn't Gab, so sorry everyone. But we're back now! <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it wasn't me. Wasn't wasn't me at all. By the process of elimination, it must have been me. Uh, what are you drinking? I am having water. I'm still at work. Um, while you've been moving apartments, I have been extremely busy. Um, it's what I refer to at work as my busy season. So I'm really happy and sad and melancholy that most the NWSL season is is winding down. But oh, it really works out well with my work schedule. So um, yeah, well, we've missed a lot over the last two, three weeks. Well, we've missed two weeks worth of NWSL action. We haven't talked or recorded um, in a while, in September, period. So, uh, and there's been a fuck ton of news that has happened. So, what do you want to start with? Let's start with NWSL. We'll just kind of get back up to speed. So, so since we last spoke, the Boston Breakers finally dropped to the bottom of the league instead of just being ninth. <laughs> I'm sorry, buddy. Thanks, Portland. Um... <laughs> you gave us a run for our money. I was I was having puppies. I was not happy. I that was a very stressful match uh, because we always we always poop the bed when we're in Boston, and uh, I was pretty happy that we did not poop the bed. I was outraged that we didn't at least tie that game and the fact that we didn't score off of our 1,000 chances and Portland scored off of their one good sinky chance. Well, I was like, that's very, that's very 2017 uh, uh, Boston Breakers. That's, that's exactly. That's so Raven. That's exactly representative of this team's struggles this season. So, um, I mean, congratulations on cementing a home semifinal berth. You guys are number two. North Carolina is number one. For now. For now. There's only two points difference between you. Although yeah. NC has a game in hand on you guys. so They do, but they have to play three games in like three days. That's true. Okay, And so, that's, that's a tall order, I think. Yeah, so top four. North Carolina, Portland, Chicago, Orlando. Seattle's five, but they're five points behind Orlando. And Chicago, who that they're both at thirty six, Seattle's at thirty one. So Seattle would have to win both games they have left to play, and either Chicago or Orlando would have to lose both games that they're about to play. And I don't think that's going to happen. Okay, so time machine. I'm going to take us back to before the season started. Okay, here are the top four teams that you thought were going to make the playoffs in no particular order. We huh. didn't do this in particular order. Okay, you said. Portland, Chicago, North Carolina, and Orlando. Ooh, look at that. Look at that, boy. <laughs> I said Portland, Chicago, Kansas City, and Seattle. So Ooh. you are totally beating me in your beginning of the season prediction. Yeah. Kansas City. So congratulations. Thank you. Kansas City and Seattle, rough seasons for both of them. Rough, rough. I know, rough. right? Yeah. God. Kansas City has just had the weirdest roller coaster over the last like month i think the the whammy of losing holiday plus starting with a rod gone and sid larue has been so slow to come up to speed for them and they haven't i don't think she's really kind of figured out her role for them i think they kind of want her to play more of a 
Kristen Press almost like provider role, but she's not a provider. So that's you know they're kind of been hit, bing, bing, boom all over the field. It's not great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Orlando and Portland. I feel like we're both a little start, a little slow to start, but boy, did they pick up speed. My God, like once I got their groove and <sighs> Orlando, Orlando right now has the trajectory exactly over, over any of these teams. Like if Orlando continues with the same pace that they've had for the last, I mean, the last game was a draw. Um, so maybe not the last game, but if they continue on the same pace that they've had for like maybe their last, 10 matches you know that's that's crazy and powerful orlando portland and north carolina courage are any one of those three teams i feel like could manage their momentum well enough to peak right at finals chicago on the other hand i feel like is kind of in the downswing and i don't know if they're going to manage the dips and the peaks well enough to to put together a, a performance that gets them through semis to finals even. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the win-loss records. North Carolina, last five games, four wins, one loss. Portland, four wins, one loss. Orlando, four wins, one tie. Chicago, two wins, two losses, a tie in their last five. Mm-hmm. So actually, I feel like if anything changes in the standings, Chicago and Orlando might switch places for three and four. Which means for semifinals, I believe the way it's seated, it's one versus four and two versus three, right? Yes. So that would be a North Carolina-Chicago semi and a Portland-Orlando semi. Out of Chicago and Orlando, which one would you rather Portland faces for the semis? Ask me Ask me on on Monday. Okay. I mean, it really it really depends. Like, how, how is Orlando going to come back from this international break that we've been on? That's true. Um, they they were on fire. Like if if I'm Tom Sermani, I'm pissed that the international break happened when it did. Mm. Your Brazilians went to Australia and played. Granted, yeah. Australians also went to Australia, so <laughs> yeah. so you know there's there's um, jet lag for for both teams. But Orlando has finally figured out how to unlock Marta and Alex Morgan. And it's all happening the way it's drawn up on paper. If you, if you know, it's it's happening in a way similar to Western New York in 2013, 2012. No, but uh, WPS 2011, oh, 11, 11, yeah, 2011, yeah. So it's all happening in a way similar to how much of a force Western New York was in 2011. Talk about all-star team. They had Sink, too. They had Allie Riley. They had a very young Ashlyn Harris as their goalkeeper. They had a very young Alex Morgan. They had a very young they Alex They had Morgan. Marta. That that Morgan-Sinclair forward duo, that's... I mean, it didn't, it didn't pan out the same way for Portland, but it's not like it was bad for Portland either, so... No, no. Alex Morgan, when she was healthy, she... And when, and when you know, she had time to gel with the team, she was great. But Orlando, there's something about Orlando. And it could be a happy home life balance. It could be with more of her friends. Like, who who knows what those factors are? But if you look at the way Alex Morgan has played in the last few women's national team games, the goals she's scoring right now, Alex Morgan is 
in her stride. Well, here's the thing. I think what happened with Portland is you guys caught her in that kind of downward slump she hit after 2012, where she just, she wasn't quite performing the same. She wasn't quite healthy the entire time. It feels like it's taken her 2013, 14, 15, 16. It feels like it's taken her almost a whole cycle to get back to like full strength again for like one reason or another. She just was never quite fully healthy. Maybe that's unfair. I feel like in that 2013-14 era, there were strides where she was fully healthy, but she wasn't She wasn't performing the way that she is now. Right. There, there was something missing. Some, something about her mojo was gone. And it's back. And in a very, very powerful way, she's connecting with Marta. She's connecting with the other players in the offense for Orlando. She's making the runs. She's completing the the plays that she just has not even been seen before was alex morgan ever at portland at the same time as mark parsons or did she leave just as mark became coach mark parsons, she left as as mark became coach yeah because i think she left last year for orlando and last year with yeah. mark parsons for, so yeah so she was yep. in the paul riley cpc era as well so right right who knows Maybe it's specifically Tom Sermani who understands Alex Morgan. She did come of age, kind of, in her career under Tom Sermani as well. Well, and she, I mean, if we're going to talk about Western New York in 2011, who was that coach? Well, that was Paul Riley. Right. So he wasn't completely foreign to her. Yeah, that's true. Right? That's true. I don't know. I... I am already biting my nails for the weekend um, just because there are so many insane factors associated with having an international break this late into the season. I mean, we had players in France, we had players in Australia, and we had players traveling around the United States. Who was in France? Henri. Oh, you guys had a player in France. That's right. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Port, Port- Portland has had a player in France. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying that to say, you know, having an international break, having a FIFA break and actually playing international games during that break this late into the season, we only have wasn't, two games left. Wasn't the France game a world cup qualifier though against Spain? No, it might've been, yeah. but I thought that was on the guy's side. No, on the women's side, I'm, I'm, I think it was a World Cup qualifier, and I can't believe I forgot Henri was in France because they had the most bonkers set play. Did you see this nonsense? Yeah, where they, like, spun around each other? Yeah, they got in a circle. They, like, summoned a demon from hell, then burst out into the box and scored off of it. It was crazy. But I still think it's a contributing factor for the end of the season. Like, oh, absolutely. these teams had mojo. Then we take two weeks off. We'll see who can uh, pick up the momentum and who can't. That'll that'll be that'll be something. Yeah. But but Portland, Orlando or Portland and North Carolina have the home playoff match, the semifinal. Um, and what I think is really interesting, as the standings are right now, North Carolina, I believe, is ending their season with Orlando. And I believe Portland is ending their season with Chicago. You are correct. So if standings don't change, these two, these four teams are playing each other again one week later. <laughs> that is interesting. Everybody's like, going, who, yeah. who has a crystal ball and made the schedule like that? 
me. It was me. That's why the schedule took so long. Oh my god! Like, like what is happening? That is such an interesting mind game, too, though. So you go into that game knowing essentially the result probably isn't going to matter unless you want to rearrange the standings to play North Carolina instead of Portland or vice versa. Like maybe in terms of travel, Orlando would prefer to go to North Carolina instead of flying to Portland. But right. so so do you juggle your roster? Like, do you rotate? Do you try to rest people? Because it's there's a, a fairly decent gap because those games are september 30th and the semifinals are the 7th the 8th so you'll have a almost a full week to rest and like plan out so i that's such an int- do you like give the other team a preview of what you're doing do you try to bamboozle them like with a fam- formation what mind games would are they going to play with each other if at all and it's the exact same home venue Right. It's Portland right. at home versus Chicago. It's Orlando at home, or no, I'm no, sorry, yeah. it's North Carolina at home versus Orlando. Interesting, interesting. Like, if you're Chicago in this situation, are you literally telling your players, hey guys, we're going to put you up in a sweet hotel for that week in between so you can really acclimate, you don't have to worry about travel. I would definitely want to limit travel. But at the same time, I feel like the, the mental side of balancing, like letting people live in their apartments or their their homes or whatever in comfort for a couple of days. And... Yeah, sports psychology, man. Yeah. It's awesome. I think, so Portland has two games left. North Carolina has three games left. If NC can win two of their games, they will have won the shield for the season. They- right, and one of those is against a very battered Houston. Yeah. They just have to win two out of the three. Otherwise, they have to lose two, and Portland must win both their remaining games if Portland wants to take the shield. That could also be the deciding factor at the final game. Who wants so the not only are teams three and four trying to figure out strategically, do we want to play this team again? Can we play this team again? Who like like At this point, I'm saying, I, who doesn't want to play Orlando? Not... Who doesn't want to play North Carolina or who doesn't want to play Portland? You know what I mean? Yeah, those four teams, I think I would, ooh, yeah, I would say I'll give Orlando the edge in going, mm, I'd rather not face them until the very end. That's the state of the NWSL at the moment. Has anything else been happening at women's soccer? Did anything big happen yesterday? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me I've been working way too much. <laughs> okay. So we talked about it on our last episode, but yesterday the hammer came down. Mark Sampson is officially out as the head coach of the England women's national team. One day after England beat Russia 6-0 in a World Cup qualifier, and I think it was on the first goal, apparently the team had agreed on a celebration where they would all run over to the bench and celebrate with Mark Sampson, which kind of looks super shitty considering... The FA had decided to fire Mark Sampson the day before the game. Games played on the 19th. FA, I believe that's a Tuesday. FA board ratified decision to fire Mark Sampson the day before on a Monday. Why was he allowed to continue coaching, especially given the offense for which they fired him? Um, right. Now, there's two scandals here. One, the Annie Luco thing, which we talked about last game, where there are allegations of racist remarks from Mark Sampson towards multiple players of color. Uh, the other one being some incidents that came up from a couple years ago when he was head coach at Bristol. 
Um, he was head coach at Bristol from 2009 to 2013. And then he becomes head coach of the England national team December 2013. Now, there was an official investigation begun into his behavior at Bristol in March of 2014. So the FA statement said, It is our judgment that the investigation from 2014 revealed clear evidence of inappropriate and unacceptable behavior by a coach. And then there have been further comments from uh, Martin Glenn, who I think is the CEO of the FA, where he was like, Technically, it's not illegal. It's not illegal. But he crossed the boundary between coach and player. So first of all, if you have to start off with, like, nothing illegal, you're already screwed. Mm-hmm. And then second of all, cross the boundary between coach and player. And then another article, I believe it was The Guardian, said it was inappropriate relationship with players. Plural. Multiple players. So you add on to that that they're referring to what is called a safeguarding investigation from 2014. Now, in England, safeguarding is apparently related to protecting uh, children, teenagers, at-risk adults, and generally a situation where the person being investigated maybe is in a position of power over the other people in the equation. Um, and I think that clearly applies here, where you have a coach, and he's in charge of all these players. So I think you can pretty much put all the pieces together. No one has come right out and say it, but the inference that most people are drawing is the that he had an inappropriate, probably sexual relationship with multiple players. Mm-hmm. So investigation concludes March 2015. They The FA decides, apparently, that he's safe to continue working with footballers so long as he enters some kind of course. Which, What? Yep, just go, just, just go take an HR course and you're fine. You're fine. You slept with multiple players, so the course is probably more about, hey, dummy, stop sleeping with players rather than trying to actually address the problem here, right? It's like, don't get caught anymore, essentially. Now, Martin Glenn is appointed that same month to the FA. He says he's not made aware of this report on Mark Sampson until October 2015, and then further says that he didn't read the full report until September 2017, nearly two years later. So you've just joined the FA in a position of power. Someone tells you, hey, the head coach of your women's national team had a report into him for inappropriate behavior while he was coach at Bristol. Don't worry about it. So you go, okay, and then don't read the report until two years later when there's another scandal going on and probably somebody dropping a dime on you to the press that makes you realize you have to read this report and then get rid of Mark because it's not become good PR to keep him on board anymore. You could have you could have yep. defended him against either the racism or maybe the sleeping with play. Maybe. It's probably the racism that they found easy to defend him against because since when has a white guy, you know, never not been supported by his organization against racism? Anyway, so now all this stuff comes out. There's probably receipts... There, there were receipts that were too hard to ignore, so they had to get rid of him because they couldn't defend this guy anymore. And that's not a reason to, do, to get rid of someone. You get rid of someone to protect people, right? To to punish someone for the... Not because you can't feasibly protect them anymore, because it's no longer... Like, everybody is bad in this. Mark Sampson is bad. The FA looks really bad. I just hope that whatever players might have been involved in this don't really get their names dragged through the mud because 
as much as Mark Sampson was the one who was doing the wrong thing, in these situations, you know it's the women who get, you know, doxxed and harassed and yelled at the most. No, oh, I mean, that's his That's his next move. That's his tell-all. That's his, that's his what he sells to a tabloid, you know? Yeah, that would be a, a move you can make to take pressure of yourself. Like, look, I slept with these people and it was between consenting adults, blah, 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 blah. So I don't see what the problem is. There were no underage people involved here. And look, here are the love letters that they wrote me. Exactly. Well, here's the thing. So A, it was multiple players. So I don't think he can claim like, oh, but it was a real relationship. We were actually in love. We just forgot to disclose it. Right? So he... To me, it sounds like this dude who likes being in a position of power and uses it yep. to sleep around with the women who are under his control. I'm just, I'm just saying, I wouldn't put it past him. Mm -hmm. When no. you're a sleazeball like that, like, yeah. all right, I'm gonna jump to the worst case Law and Order episode of how somebody tries to get out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm appalled, but not really surprised by how this has all been handled. Um, it's just been a very tidy little lesson on how sleazeballs get into power and then stay in power. Because the, he was investigated for a full year, and nobody thought what he did was bad enough to be fired until now. So it says to me that the people investigating him were like, what's the deal? It's not really, It's it might look bad, but we don't see a problem with it. It's one of those things that makes me realize that the shit that's happening in the United States isn't necessarily isolated. How did Mark Sampson get into power? Because people were aware that he was crossing the boundary of professionalism or whatever euphemism you want to call it. How did he get into power? Because people either ignored his behavior, because it seems right. to have been an open secret. People either ignored or openly condoned his behavior. And when it was brought up as a problem, the people in charge of investigating it signed off on it. The people in charge of hiring and firing didn't bother with the investigation. So everywhere you look, somebody was not doing their job, not taking this seriously. That's what systemic means. And systemically... Right. No, no I, I, I understand what systemic means. Yeah. I'm just saying that this is a... The parallels here for everything that's happening. We'll see what happens next. I don't think that the FA is particularly in a hurry to hire a new coach. Whoever they hire, I feel sorry for them because part of it is going to be a PR move. They're, you know, a good percentage of that hire is not going to be about your ability to win. Although surely England will want to do well at the next World Cup. But Whoever it is, it's going to be like when they brought in Pia after, what, 2008? Yeah, it's it's going to be post-Greg Ryan. Quote Not that what Greg Ryan did was this, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But in the same way, someone who's there to restore Team Harmony, get everybody moving forward, and move the public eye off of the scandal. So what's funny is I clicked on the link that said, who could replace Mark, Mark Sampson? Guess guess one of the names that's on that list. Well, I've seen some of the lists. Some of them, a lot of people are mentioning Laura Harvey. And some of the lists... Uh, this, this list actually didn't have Laura Harvey on it at all. Some of these lists are also mentioning Tony DeChico. God rest nope, his soul. Not not that list either. This list, whichever one, uh, I'm on the Telegraph's list, mm -hmm. has Pope Powell on <laughs> it. She's not getting a second bite of the cherry. No. <laughs> God. 
Good. Just, I went through it. I was just like, oh, okay, but um, all right. Yeah, you guys want to go backwards? Okay, cool. Do you think Laura Harvey would leave for the England national team if they offered it to her? <sighs> would Laura have to leave for the English national team if they offered it to her? Yeah, she can't coach Seattle and England at the same time. What if Seattle became England? <laughs> what if they Brexited the United States? Yeah, Seattle's decided um, to secede. I, I think I think that that I think coaching, being a head coach at a premier country, a, a contending country for either a World Cup gold or a like a World Cup champion mm-hmm. or a Olympic champion system is what will get Laura Harvey away from Seattle. I think that's fair. If you because if they brought any coach in, that coach would probably be told straight up your responsibility is to A qualify us for the World Cup and then B take us as far as we can go into that World Cup, preferably to a win. But but your your hand is tied behind your back because you only have two years to do it. Which it's not necessarily the worst thing because there are some personnel decisions, yes, that probably need to be changed up in the wake of Mark Samson leaving because you get the sense that he wasn't making certain roster decisions with um, talent in mind. Right. But there is a good core group of players in there for you to already work with. So you wouldn't be going in having to build from scratch. Right. Oh, I, I completely I, I completely agree that you're not building from scratch, but you still only have two years to do it. Yes, that's that's true. Um, that now becomes the narrative. Can Laura Harvey turn this around in two years? Well, on the other hand, though, if you fail at that, then it becomes not the worst strike against you. Like, if she does even moderately well, right, gets them qualified and then takes them into knockout to quarters or even semis, then I think that's that's success. And she can be. Everyone will be like, "Well, she only had two years to do it, and she was brought in in the middle of all this." So, I think anybody who steps up to this, yes, there will be pressure to do well for the World Cup cycle. But at the same time, as much as it can be, it will be low pressure. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, no, I I get it. Yeah. I I totally get what you're saying. I also just don't think that England and low pressure go well together. <laughs> That's true. It's been ramping up a lot more on the women's side to per, perform. So, yeah, I just don't know if England came calling that Laura Harvey could reasonably justify to herself, no, what I'm building in Seattle is more important. I've also seen Kelly Smith on a few of these lists. How do you feel about that? I was really disappointed in Kelly's comments about this whole thing. She was interviewed as part of a, a panel before the England-Russia game, and she mostly dodged the question and just wouldn't engage with it and on the one hand I can understand how Kelly Smith wouldn't have uh, the vocabulary to engage with this but on the other hand you know that's the privilege that she gets to have to that she hasn't had to think about it or or hasn't had to you know speak intelligently on it or, or really think critically about it before um, and I just think Annie Aluko must feel so hard done by that nobody on the team right now or close to the team right now seems to have stood up and been like, you know what, Annie, I believe you and I support you. Right. 
I mean, they went, the goal celebration to me is an indicator. And to me, looking at the goal celebration, looking at the way this went down, the amount of time it took, the fact that other women's national teams are standing up for themselves right now, they're making the case for certain things. And the English national team was satisfied, was they were content. And maybe content is is not the right word, but we're not seeing dissent. I think there's something to be said here for a mixture of fear for your job, as well as, mm, I don't want to call it brainwashing, but kind of that complacency you get from systemic institutionalized misogyny and racism. So it kind of it, it kind of, you know, lulls you into a way of thinking where you don't want to confront the system. You don't want to listen to this complaint. You want to give the um, the people in charge the benefit of a doubt, you know? Uh, uh-huh. That's one of the insidious effects of racism and, and misogyny where you're more willing to listen to the to people above you in the hierarchy of power and less willing to help fight for the people below you in the hierarchy. Um, uh-huh. It's hard. It's I understand how hard it is to to break out of that thinking and to resist something as powerful as the FA. That's your career. That's your whole career that could go down just like that. But sometimes doing what's right requires that kind of courage. So mm-hmm. on, on the one hand, I, I don't know if I were in that situation, if I would have the courage to stand up and be like, you know, I believe you, Annie. So I, I don't necessarily want to judge too harshly on that but on the other i do feel for any luco seeing all that go down and be like what the fuck guys i thought we were in this together you know yep i mean it's infuriating all around um and it, it's one of those things it's just like we need to do better we need to create those spaces where people who are being wronged feel confident comfortable confiding and will be believed. And it's shocking to me that a a sports team, I mean, it's not, it's not really because you look what happened in U S soccer around all of hope solo scandals. You look at what happened in U S soccer around Greg Ryan. Not a lot of people stood up and did the right thing. Right. Right. They only kind of stood up years and years later when there was no risk and we're like, okay, you know, maybe I was and wrong. and retirement was right there. And I have a book deal and I can now feel like a better person. And I mended that bridge. So, you know, part of me, like, I want to be really shocked that this is happening. But the other part of me is like, no, this happens. This is the way it is. You get steamrolled. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are the England women's national team for all that they've been on the rise. I, I do think not many players in that setup really have comparable power to say if Becky Sauerbrunn in the women's national team was like, hey, I don't really like what's going on here with U.S. soccer. And also U.S. soccer doesn't have the same entrenched level of power as the FA does, I think, over their teams. So I'm not super sure to what level any of those players might have felt empowered to stand up, but I did listen to an interesting interview um, on BBC Live Radio, and they had an old England goalkeeper, Pauline Cope, 
and she went in on the national team. She was like, I don't care. I would have given up my England career to stand next to my teammate. And I was like, damn, all right. But once again, she's already retired. So who can say what anybody would have really done in the moment? We all know what the current players have done, which is protect their jobs. And maybe some of them actually do believe Mark Sampson is innocent or want to stand by him or don't think what he did was wrong. We just don't know. So we'll see how this situation develops. I get the feeling that not everything has come out yet. Um, there's just, I think there's follow-up questions to be asked. I think, you know, there's more questions to be asked of how all this happened, who let it happen. And, and you know, I, I feel like some journalist somewhere has like actual receipts that they're sitting on. So so we'll mm-hmm. see. Just one one more time, I really hope the players who may or may not have been involved in this. I just hope they don't get like, you know, toxic death threats all over social media. They will, but I hope they won't. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've seen, we've seen how this plays out. Unfortunately. You mentioned women's teams are standing up for themselves. A women's team today I saw actually stood up to their Federation. It was Argentina. Sweet. What are they asking for? They just did this today. So they're going on strike. They haven't been paid. They have poor facilities. They issued a long statement. Um, Brenda Elsie has the tweet, uh, the translation that I retweeted. But it was this big, long letter where they were like, basically, you know, F.A. better have my money. Pay us what you owe us, Mm -hmm. which is a lot more than you think you owe us, by the way. They mm-hmm. they were apparently getting 150 pesos, which is eight fifty eight dollars and fifty cents, not eight hundred fifty eight dollars fifty cents U.S. per training session. So they could buy a Starbucks. Yeah, basically, maybe a sandwich. Who knows? Wow! If they pulled their if they pulled their pesos, they could get like pizza. Yeah, twenty of them uh, by eight fifty. So we'll say twenty by eight. That's a hundred and sixty bucks. You get a pizza party, maybe. Jesus. Or you could buy one person a nice pair of cleats. Just one of them, though. Right. If you wanted to get some nice Nikes. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's happening all over the place. And unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, you know, it's a lot of stuff are things that should have. It's a sign of growth. It's a sign of progress. But it infuriates me that these situations still exist. Exactly. Julie Foudy had a good point. She was interviewed, I think, by 442, where she reiterated that FIFA could do a lot to address this structural inequality. Where they're like, okay, we won't award you bids or funds or whatever until you bring your women's team up to a minimum standard. They have the power totally. to do that. And they won't. Mm-hmm. Because, well, you know. I was going to say, because FIFA is also the ones that now have kicked some of the more vocal one of the more vocal mm-hmm. chair people, I, f- I forget what her actual Ex-co role members, was, yeah. but got her out of there. So yep. FIFA has no desire to actually make equality a thing. Yeah, they voted. They Moya- just have a desire to make more money. They voted Moya Dodd out and they replaced her with somebody who apparently couldn't name the last Women's World Cup winner. So yep. systemic inequality. That's how these things happen. The system. If only we could just yep. burn the system down and rebuild it from scratch. That would be great. 
And while we're on the topic of women's national teams standing up to their federations, the U.S. women's national team is also displeased with their federation, once again, nominally, at least, over turf. Um, yeah. So this just dropped in the New York Times today by uh, Caitlin Murray, where the national team is not happy that three of their last four games in this calendar year are going to be played on turf. Technically four, but the fourth one is controlled by Canada Soccer, who picked Vancouver, and so U.S. Soccer is not responsible for picking BC Place. But th So all four of their games are going to be played on turf, and three of them U.S. Soccer picked. So I think it's a more nuanced situation this time around, because the team has conceded not every game can be on grass. There's mm -hmm. time of year to consider, there's market, there's you know, wherever you go, that stadium also has its own schedule of events. So you have to balance all this shit out. But at the same time, apparently, in their new CBA that they just ratified, the players kind of included this thing where U.S. soccer is supposed to listen to them more on choice of field. And so the players were like, oh, we don't really play in the New Orleans field. We don't like that turf. Here are some suggestions. And according to them, U.S. soccer just ignored them all and put them there on the turf anyway. So now they're pissed again. That's fun. Yeah. The the statement from the uh, players union is moving forward. We expect that U.S. soccer will take into account our input on venue selection in addition to being more respectful of our players' health and safety. So it's it's infuriating. It's infuriating that they 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 are utilizing their public voice, their public venue, this thing that they're America's sweethearts, right? Mm -hmm. And U.S. soccer is still fucking them over. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes me, the, 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 the news coming out this week about the Players Association, right, for the NWSL, that was huge. Like yeah. now they've got positions, they've got a board, they've got, they've got team representatives, they're, they're making moves, right? But what is happening at U.S. soccer with the women's national team and the disrespect and the disregard makes me actually not hopeful for what can this players, it's not a union, this players association, mm -hmm. what the players association can do within NWSL. Like what is going to make NWSL care what the players have to say? Oh, so I don't know if you heard this, but this is crazy. So there was a recent panel in New York and you're right here, by the way. <laughs> right? Yeah. Sorry. They're coming to get me. Uh, resist, man. Resist. You can't let the man take you down. Um. Uh. <laughs> so this is crazy. I don't know if you heard it. Um, there was a panel, I feel like this past week, sometime the past week or so, where Amanda Duffy, acting NWSL commissioner, uh, spoke about the league and sports in general, and it came out that apparently the league doesn't really have anyone who's supposed to be in charge of getting sponsorships, league-wide sponsorships. That's not a position that they have right now, which seems kind of important maybe to have. That's, you know, let me find the Gr exact. Hashtag grow the game. So this was September 14th, so a week ago. Um... If you want to follow the whole thread, Ian Thomas on Twitter, by Ian Thomas had a good thread on it. The league is currently searching for a head of sponsorship sales. Don't believe this position currently exists at NWSL. 
What the fuck have they been doing all this time then? Right? Who the fuck is supposed to be in charge of getting sponsors? You would think sponsors would be jumping on, like, the league is full of photogenic, like, squeaky clean female athletes. What, like, you would think this would be such a great sell to so many sponsors. Like, I don't... I'm flabbergasted. I am befuddled. I am bewitched. Like, where where's the nope. lifetime money going? <sighs> Who's making it rain? So that's what I want for next season. A lot more transparency in all these league moves. Stuff like the schedule, lack of league sponsorships. These are all, like, things that build up into the picture of... Uh, an organization that doesn't quite have its shit together and that things kind of yep. happen in spite of them not because of them it's not real right. comforting not at all all right do you want to make some score predictions like on a happier note i guess uh yeah uh before we do that can we plug some things that we wanted to plug yes because finals are coming up and there's lots of cool shit happening yeah so we want to um Oh, God, I should have been ready. <laughs> Maybe your sex tape. Hold on one second. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, thank you. Um, we would like for people who are planning to go to Orlando for the final to start to add some things to your event calendar um, while you're down there. But... Also, uh, we want to make sure that you guys are aware of a hotel deal. So Denise Murray of Pride's Crown in Orlando has secured 20 hotel rooms for the final. So 20 rooms uh, are being held at the Embassy Suites, um, which is about one mile from the stadium. It's actually where you and me, uh, where we're staying. So, you know, um, that's that's uh, uh, a good a good call there. But she has put 20 rooms um, aside for NWSL supporters group fans of, you know, soccer. Um, you don't have to be affiliated with any one particular team or any one supporters group. We really just don't want Denise to be stuck with a bill at the end of, of the day. And some things that you get when you stay at the embassy suites, uh, you get free breakfast, you get, there is a really awesome cocktail party reception thing that happens every evening around happy hour, um, which you can totally get your money's worth at. Uh, there's free valet parking. Um, there's a shuttle that'll take you to the stadium if you don't want to walk the mile or walk the mile home. Um, there's free Wi-Fi and there's a, just a ton of like public space within the, the hotel. So it's, it's not like you just go to your room, you have to hang out in your room. There, there are lounges and things like that. Um, so if you want to stay with a bunch of NWSL fans, get in on these 20 rooms, not sure how many are left. Mm -hmm. So basically to, to, um, get set up with a room, we'll associate an email address for Denise, uh, on this podcast. Um, so look at the detailed description, but you basically just email Denise, let her know that you would like the room, um, and you will PayPal her and she will coordinate everything with you, uh, at that point. So, um, really awesome of Denise to do that. We want to make sure that those rooms get filled by NWSL fans and Denise isn't stuck with the bill at the end of the day. So, um, yeah, I hope, I hope that makes sense. Did everything make sense? Yeah, everything made sense. Cool. 
so that's one thing. That's that's one thing. What are some of the other things that we want to make sure folks are adding to their calendar? Pick up, maybe? Yeah, pick up. Um, so we're trying to get supporters group pick up going uh, the day of the final uh, that morning, um, about a half a mile from the Embassy Suites Hotel that I just told you about. Uh, we're going to be doing pick up soccer. So we're planning at 9.30 a.m., um, the address will be 480 North Orange Avenue, uh, again, Saturday morning for those of you who want to get together with like-minded fans. Um, you don't have to be for one particular sports group. We're just trying to give, uh, find ways to, to connect and, and, you know, make sure everybody knows you're part of this awesome community. So we will have more information about that as well. Now, if you don't want to get up and immediately run around the day of the final, there's another event happening that morning. So the other event that's happening is Woso Co. It's it's an event that Jen Cooper is is putting together. It's kind it's a conference. It's women's soccer conference where she's put together panels. She's put together sessions and discussion. And um, there's there's a small fee associated with registering for for the event, but it is a women's soccer conference that's happening that same morning. So Saturday morning, uh, and there's more info with keeper notes. Um, again, we'll put the info in the podcast, uh, description there, but that's all happening. Championship day the night before we, uh, meet me and Steph, we're, we're talking about trying to figure out what bar we're going to record at live. So for those of you who are in town Friday night, uh, we, we will be posting more of that info. And then we're also trying to figure out what sort of, uh, if we can do some sort of community outreach thing, potentially on Sunday, uh, since Orlando's been impacted, affected by the hurricanes, get a bunch of soccer fans together. How can we actually leave Orlando a little bit better than when we get there? Um, not saying that we can have you know, a huge impact, but, you know, can you, can you donate an hour, two hours of time? Um, we're, we're working on coordinating that as well. So a lot going on that weekend, we would love for you to go, you know, NWSL doesn't have anybody promoting league and finding sponsors. So that's us. Yay. Come to Orlando. Hire me NWSL. Yeah. Hire, hire us. We will, we will promote your stuff. Always, as long as you're good to the players. Lots of cool stuff happening. Well, I guess it's time for score predictions. We haven't done that in a while. Dun, dun, dun! And I have the worksheet all set up already, so we can just kind of plow through this. Name your sex tape. So, Saturday. God damn it! (laughs) There's three games. First game, Orlando versus Portland in Orlando. Gab? It's a big one. Oh, I am going to say two to three Portland. Wow. That's going to be a nail biter for you. Five goals. I think it's a five goal game. I'll, you know what? I'll agree with you. So we'll both. Totally? Yeah, completely. Oh man. I hate it when we do this. <laughs> I know. That means Orlando's going to win. I'm sorry. Stop it. Go Go do the you want, other way. Do you Change want what you call it? Do you want, I'll, I'll call it 3-2 for Orlando then. <sighs> I don't know how that's any better, but somehow it is. Maybe my so sex tape. Better. So much better. <laughs> <laughs> I 
don't know how to say it better, but it's better. It feels better. Uh, okay. So, oh, shit. Washington, Washington is hosting Boston. Bottom of the table clash. Yep. They're, they're going for whatever that trophy is. It's interesting. Spirit might not be that bad. Mel Pugh might be a little more tired than Rose Lavelle, but Rose Lavelle doesn't have more than a half in her right now anyway. So, 1-1 one, one tie. Okay. I am going to say Washington 3 to Boston 1. God, you're so mean to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to get points. Points, 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 points. Oh, ruthless. Okay, Houston Dash, Chicago Red Stars. Houston is hosting. Oh, man. I just feel so bad for Houston, but I'm, I'm going to go 0 to 2. For Chicago? Yeah. 3 to 1 for Chicago. Okay. Sorry, Houston. Um, then we've got New Jersey. We've got Sky Blue hosting top of the table, North Carolina. Sky Blue wow. kind of fizzled out, man. Sam Kerr, she was killing it for weeks there. And then she can't do it all herself. I think today is Thursday that we're recording on. This game is on Sunday. So she's probably back in the States by now. She's had one, two, three, a good four days to rest after flying from Australia, after going all out in two games against Brazil. I still don't think she'll be 100% after that experience, though. So I'm going to call this um, three to two for North Carolina. No, no, no. Three to one for North Carolina. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Three to one for North Carolina. Sorry, Sky Blue. Okay. You're fine. You're fine. Um, I am... Voting with my heart, not my head, on this one, because that's what I do. Mm -hmm. um, I am going to say that Sam Kerr comes back with a vengeance, and it is two to one, Sky Blue. Damn. Damn. That's bold. That's bold. I need it. I need it. Of North Carolina's games, North Carolina needs to lose. Right? That's that's what we said at the beginning. Mm -hmm. North Carolina needs to lose for Portland to win the Shield. They need to lose two out of three games. Uh, you right. Should... So they're not going to lose against Houston. I wish that you had all season long made a little note on whether you were voting with your head and your heart, and then you would see which one had a better track record. <laughs> Maybe that's what we do next season. We, we do one where we vote with our head and one more where we vote with our heart. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so Seattle Rain, FCKC hosting in Seattle. God, both these teams. Uh, I'm going to go two to nothing Seattle. I agree. Two to nothing Seattle. See, this one doesn't feel weird. Because nothing's at stake for you emotionally. <laughs> You're so right. All right, last one. Houston... Oh, this is the midweek game next week. Mm -hmm. It's the makeup game. So I, I, I included it in this one. So the makeup game where North Carolina has to go to Houston. So North Carolina is going from New Jersey to Houston. It's mm. not too bad. That's not too bad. Yeah, That's fine. like going from like England to Germany. And they know how to deal with midweek games. Every team in this league. It's not Germany. Did. Germany was the wrong, the wrong country. <laughs> Italy. England to Italy. Mm -hmm. Every team has to deal with a little midweek travel, and it sucks that this one happened the way it did, but what can you do? Weather's a bitch this year. Uh, sorry, Houston. I'm going to call this two to nothing for North Carolina. <sighs> yeah. Zero to four 
North Carolina. Because as much as North Carolina is traveling, Houston is also traveling. This is like a five hour, they're five hours away from Houston on this one, I think. So Are they still going to Dallas on this? Edinburgh, Texas? I don't know if they pronounce it Edinburgh. It's Texas, so it's probably Edinburgh. So they're not playing at home home? No, they're not playing. That's that there was this big to do that the the closest place that they could schedule was not close to Houston. Let me look this up. Edinburgh. Oh, I thought that was just for the Dallas game. I didn't realize that that was in general for like the rest of the season. So uh, Edinburgh, Texas is five hours on US 59 South from Houston. But so and that's where they're playing. Yep. Well, shit. Yeah, that's what the Houston fans said when they heard the destination. <laughs> Sorry, well, guys. Sh- well, shit. I mean, gotta get that all figured out. Texas is a big state, so any any big city like Austin's the closest big one, or yeah, and that's still gonna be what like hour and a half, two, three hours. Austin to Houston, that's two, not two. three hours. Yeah, it's two hours, two hours, yeah. two hours. I mean, the way I drive, it's it's two hours. Google says it's two and a half, but. It's two. We did that. We did that for the final last year. I don't remember anything beyond like a couple weeks ago, man. You know me. I did that for the final. You weren't in my car. No. That's the, yeah. You, yeah. You were at the hotel room probably already drunk from the uh, <laughs> the complimentary happy hour. Man. Which, okay. So, yeah. If you went to the final last year, you stay, You probably stayed at the Embassy Suites. Uh-huh. Same complimentary happy hour. Uh-huh. Man, last final, all I did was show up, drink the frozen woodies, and have a good time. So I know I, you you had an amazing experience. I, I didn't last do time. no uh, car travel, and I didn't. Um, well, I had a good time. <laughs> oh, oh! All right. Well, that's the show. A little bit longer this time. Uh, glad that we're back. Sorry we were gone so long, especially without announcing it beforehand. But you know, Gab has to. She's the big boss now, and I am moving was the boss of me for a little while, so. You're like, yeah, life just kind of gets in the way sometimes, Mm -hmm. and this is supposed to be for fun, so let's make sure it's for fun. Yeah, moving in Boston, it's, oh god, it's like the perfect storm of all your logistical nightmares, so. I can't even imagine, cannot even imagine. (laughs) If, I haven't moved in 10 years, if so I I'm were, like, I don't even remember. If I were religious, I would say that God created moving in Houston to test the faithful. You know? Kind of the way he made, like, Arrakis the Desert Planet to test the Fremen. But we won't get into that too much. So, thank you not, all. Not for this episode. Thank you all for tuning in. We're sorry we were gone so long, but we are back on schedule now. We'll have more through the end of the season. And as Gab mentioned, we're going to try and do a live episode from Orlando. Uh, Stay tuned.